What's up, everybody? Welcome to your weekly installment of Nuclear Barbarians. And it is I, Emmett, your nuclear barbarian, here to talk with DJ LeClear, aka the Rad Guy Glows. What is up, DJ? Hey there. Uh, nice to be on. Yeah, nice to have you. I forgot when or how I stumbled on your content. I think a friend mm-hmm. sent it to me. And because the nuclear world is small enough, they were like, do you know this guy? <laughs> His videos are awesome. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. It, it is a small world, really. And I had to say no, that I didn't. And then I was like, I should get this guy on this podcast. So I'm glad to have you here, man. So for people who don't know, why don't you just tell us a little bit about like what you do? Yeah, definitely. Oh, man. Where, where do I start? I mean, there's my, obviously what I do with my videos and then mm-hmm. my, my work life. So I am what's called a radiological emergency preparedness specialist. Mm-hmm. And I plan and prepare for radiological emergencies, really anywhere from somebody finding some small, I don't know, uranium glass or something, you know, mm-hmm. all the way up to a improvised uh, nuclear uh, explosion or something like that. So th- those wow. are the types of things that I plan and prepare for. And I, I train hazmat teams and people who do, do atmospheric dispersion modeling. And that's what I do for my, my work life. So I guess I'm a, I'm a health physicist as well as a nuclear safety specialist. They call us nuclear safety specialists, but mm-hmm. so yeah, that's what I, that's what I do at work. Um, as you and probably, or maybe some of your viewers know, I do lots of videos kind of in my free time used to do a lot more videos, not as many anymore, mm-hmm. but really just trying to tackle some of that misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. And a br- big reason why I do my videos is f- because of my professional career. I understand that when the news or people want to go find information about s- radiation or nuclear, they go to the people they already know. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't make yourself known when the incident has already happened. You have to mm-hmm. do it ahead of time. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a big reason why I, I got started doing it. That's amazing. So there's a whole lot to unpack. <laughs> there is. I know. I, I, I had no idea there. that you did, you did that type of nuclear safety work. So I have like a million questions about that. <laughs> and one of them was, how did you find yourself uh, doing this? Oh, geez. So my experience was in the Navy. That's where, where, that's where I started. The Navy nuclear power program. I worked on an aircraft carrier, the Harry S. Truman. Mm-hmm. And I did radiological controls. So whenever they were working on like a system that could be contaminated, I'd be standing there with my a piece of paper, basically recording everything that was happening just to make sure no contamination was spread around. I also did steam plant chemistry, reactor plant chemistry. I, I f- kind of fell into that position. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that's like you know what, I'm going to join the Navy and be a Navy nuke. I just wanted to get my college paid for, honestly. And I wanted sure. to be a chemical engineer. <laughs> yeah. But so I kind of fell into that and then fell in love with nuclear and radiation mm-hmm. and got out of the Navy and 
first job I got when I when I got out was actually not really nuclear related. It was kind of radiation related. I w- worked on what's called analytical X-ray machines. Hmm. So uh, machines that you would use for like material science, as well as for industrial uses, you, you take like samples of pharmaceuticals and all sorts of anything that you can kind of turn into a powder. And you, you use these machines to analyze the material structure down to like the crystalline structure of it. And that was really cool. I mean, it was, it was kind of sciencey, you know, and I, I didn't do any, I mean, I did a little bit of science work, but mostly it was like repairing the machines and, mm-hmm. and taking phone calls and helping engineers do repairing of their machines and doing software stuff. But I really wanted to get back into nuclear because I mean, that's kind of where my passion was. And that was what I was working on for my undergrad. And at the time, or I'm still in Wisconsin, but the job when I got out of the Navy took me to Wisconsin. And I remember they had, or when I was looking on Indeed, or I I can't remember what site it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah it showed a, a position for a nuclear engineer for the state of Wisconsin. I'm like, why the heck does the state of Wisconsin want a <laughs> nuclear engineer? But so I, I applied for it and they, they don't call them engineers anymore, mm-hmm. nuclear engineers anymore, because some sort of legislation that went through and they decided to change it back to, or change it away from having an engineer in the name of it. But yeah, they hired me in. And I really didn't know what I was going to be doing. And then got into the radiological emergency preparedness position. Mm. And I love it. I love it so much. But yeah, that's, well, that's how I fell into it. <laughs> I love that story. I love that I have now had two Navy nukes on the, on the show. That's, Sweet. that's great. So, so I, have, I have sort of two related questions, which is mm-hmm. the fr- first one is what, what made you fall in love with nuclear? That's a very good question. I'm glad you asked me that too. I'm like, oh man, should I get into that? You please do. <laughs> well, so when, when I was a Navy nuke, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I definitely had a lot. My, my political views were very different when I was a mm. Navy nuke, very typical Navy type point of view and, and military point of view, I, I guess I should say. And I didn't actually believe climate change was an issue. Mm-hmm. Like I loved nuclear science, like just learning about it. It was just awesome freaking stuff, learning about like how photons interact with material and just all that stuff was so cool. Like I was like, okay, like if I can make a career out of it, that's cool. If I can't, mm-hmm. that's fine. I didn't really advocate for nuclear power though. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't really super passionate about it until I kind of had a, I, I did a TikTok on this once, but I had kind of a, a Damascus road moment type thing where I was going through some growth, like in, internally. And I, I really wanted to be on, on the right side of things. And I wanted to keep my mind open to new information. Mm-hmm. And if that new information, it was actually like analyze that information. And if it has more legitimacy than what my previous beliefs were, just kind of supplanting my old beliefs and, mm-hmm. and just being rational. Basically. That's hard to do. <laughs> it is. It sounds like it was painful. really hard to do. <laughs> it, it, it was. I mean, I, I, I am totally a different person than I was just, I don't know, six years ago, but wow. that's fast um, change and fa- change yeah. normally doesn't happen fast. No, no. But I remember there was that, that time where I was thinking like, 
how much I hated that, that people spread misinformation about nuclear power. I'm like, it's, it's, it's so safe. Like, mm-hmm. and they, they talk about this waste, like it's an issue, like all these things that I was like, why are they not trusting the experts about all this nuclear stuff? They should be listening to the experts. And then I kind of realized like, wait a minute, like, am I listening to the experts when it comes to like mm-hmm. these other sciences, like climate science? And that, that is when I started really kind of like, you know what, this climate change thing, let me look into it. And then basically when I came to accept that climate change was definitely a big issue that we needed to tackle, that's when my advocacy for nuclear Mm. power really came to play. Cause I was like, well, shoot, like nuclear power is a great option for that. Like, yeah, I need to be advocating for this. (laughs) So, yeah, that's an inspiring story. Mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to, I had almost, I don't want to say the opposite, but I had a similar experience where I was, I think my default setting was like climate doomism, Mm -hmm. which is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's like respecting the problem that climate change is, you know? And so it was actually making my mind open to other points of view that Mm -hmm. made, helped me like situate what climate change is, what type of challenge it is, rather than being like, we're all going to die and there's nothing we can do about it. Not necessarily the most helpful thing. And that was a long and painful process, you know? Uh, So I really, that part of it resonates with me. So Mm -hmm. that is sort of what brings you into advocacy. Now, something that I've, I've wonder about, or someone might suppose is that somebody who does your work might become captured by it to the point where they don't like nuclear. You understand what I mean? Because they deal with worst case scenarios, accidents, prep, like that all the time. That's not what happened to you and you love your job. So I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about why you love it and why you think that didn't happen to you. So so basically like why I'm not like super afraid of it after, you know, being I, I, I study, I study Fukushima. Like it was my undergrad capstone. It was my, yeah. it was my master's final course. So that's because I studied it is really, <laughs> really a big, that's the big, short answer. Yeah. A big part of it. I mean, the more and more, you know, about it and really just dig into the facts and even, even learning about all of these like worst case scenarios, honestly, that, that really does it for me because when you learn the worst case scenarios, you're like, well, shoot, like this isn't bad at all. Especially compared to a lot of the other industries out there that even in the worst case scenario, like Fukushima would be a good example of kind of the worst case scenario for a Western style, Western style, modern reactor, Mm -hmm. Uh, like nobody died. And mm-hmm. we probably shouldn't have done a relocation of people. Like there should not have been a permanent relocation. That was actually my, uh, my near thesis that I, I, I did it on that. But totally agree, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> when you start learning about that, it, it really, I don't know, just it, it pulls away that fear that you might have if you weren't familiar with it. And there's a, I don't know if you've read the book, Atomic Accidents, Highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Highly okay. recommend it. Okay. And it it exposes you, not not to, to say a pun there, uh, <laughs> to atomic accidents. And he'll he even says it in the book, but atomic's actually not really the right word. Nuclear is actually the right word because atomic means not the nucleus level, like the more yeah. of the chemistry level. But anyways, 
it exposes you to those types of incidents. And he, he says in the beginning of the book, it's kind of like how people would go and watch like a train wreck. What did he say about it? Like not you're exposing them to the actually like kind of the worst case scenarios kind of makes it to where shoot now i'm forgetting it now that oh, I'm is it sort of it. like you see enough of the worst case scenario and it, you start to become like numb to it or not numb but you no. can yeah you, not acclimate, numb. you can sort of acclimate to thinking about it well for nuclear in the in the case of nuclear it's really not that that bad unless you're talking sure. about maybe like nuclear bombs or something like that right uh, which is on a complete different totally different <laughs> scenario <laughs> yes it is yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I remember somebody saying to me, like, you know, it's like they still can't solve Fukushima. And like, if those reactors go up, that would be like 40 Hiroshima's at once. And I was like, oh, no. And then, like, I remember somebody having a conversation with, I think, Mark Nelson. And he was just like, I didn't, luckily, I didn't say that out loud because I think he would have laughed at me and I would have felt very embarrassed. But he was sort of like walking through the Fukushima scenario. And I was like, oh, that would have been impossible, actually. <laughs> oh, man. I could see that talking to Mark Nelson, not wanting to say something wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, I love that, though. And I mean, so much of talking about nuclear especially publicly, which you do advocating for it very savvily, mm -hmm. I might add, um, on a platform I'm terrified of, which is TikTok, seems mm -hmm. to require maximum patience for both bad faith arguments, but also for people's emotions, mm -hmm. not just because you're dealing with the internet where people can tend to overreact, even when things are good faith, but also because we have now generations of nuclear fear that has entrenched itself. So Tell us about what it is when you start advocating in the public square, how you stay patient and what you've learned while you do this. Oh, yeah, you're, you're definitely right there when it comes to the, the, to the patient's part, but I suck at it. So I want to know your <laughs> hacks. That's what, that's why I'm asking you. I, I guarantee <laughs> that those those same feelings that you get when you're like responding to these people with like the the bad faith arguments and stuff yeah. i get the same feelings like i want to throw my phone type of mm -hmm. thing like oh yeah no i'm <laughs> i completely get it and it's it's completely normal uh to get those very impatient feelings but i think a big part of how i have been able to kind of gather my thoughts and mm and come up with these videos and these um, arguments is from my days as being a advocate in the trenches of Facebook comment sections. Ooh. Oh, okay. So you got your, <laughs> uh, you got trained up in the comment yeah. section. Yeah. And even a little bit on Reddit, which is Ooh. man, the, the real proving place. grounds. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I learned very quickly uh, the type of things that will just cause people to just instantly kind of close up, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, I don't know if you ever heard of the, the Facebook group, global warming fact of the day. No. Oh, if anyone's listening like a, to this, that sounds like a real ulcer maker right there. <laughs> yeah. I was part of it and I was part of it for a good year until it's, it, it just ended up being too much stress, mm -hmm. but 
I learned so much being in those comment sections and mm-hmm. trying to put posts onto the forum and get them accepted by the whoever's adminning that. Yeah, the mods. Uh, yes, yes. They did not like pro-nuclear stuff, but thankfully there were some people that were that were moderators that were moderate people mm-hmm. that could advocate kind of for like, yeah, we should let this post in. So anyways, I remember it was when I was kind of a, you know, a baby uh, advocate and someone was like, Hey, like someone help me out on this, this, this forum. There's a whole bunch of anti-nukes here. I came out like fist swinging, you know? Yeah. 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 You punched <laughs> the piano player in the face, pulled out your six shooters. <laughs> you were ready to go. And then I, I, I quickly realized that that was not the right thing to do because there were some mods on there that were, were good people that were open to learning. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, shoot, if I, if I just come out like bare knuckled, I'm going to turn off a lot of people here. Mm-hmm. And I, I very quickly like just flipped the switch, started changing my, the way I approached people with my arguing and realized it was much better to not just be an angry arguer, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Not to get sucked into it as a discourse war, but actually trying to articulate and persuade people. I mean, that's a very different thing, Yeah. you know? So, you know, I'm wondering like a Facebook generally tends to be for the most part, an older set of people at this point now, now, right? Yeah, I know, man. Uh, was not that way. I'm dating myself, but you know, that's, uh, that's the way it goes. And now you make these videos on TikTok, which is a much younger demographic. Yep. So what have you noticed between those demographics? So I do feel getting on the TikTok was, was really cool because there's not a large group of anti-nuclear people like you get on Facebook, you get whole Facebook forums and groups full of these anti-nuclear people. And they seem to just be everywhere putting out content that is anti-nuclear, like actively active pages that are putting out anti-nuclear content every single day. And when I got onto TikTok, there's none of that. There's no anti-nuclear creators out there. And I saw that as a huge opportunity because the, there's just, there, there's aren't, there aren't people, there aren't people out there that I need to kind of overcome their following. Right. I I knew I could easily get a following that was greater than any of the anti-nuclear advocates out there. And it's, it's been a lot easier. I, I feel on Facebook to, or not Facebook, sorry. TikTok. TikTok to come up with good content that people are agreeable to. And maybe, mm. maybe that has to do with the fact that t- the tides have been changing recently. Like that might be a big part of it, but there, there was a void when it came to all nuclear content. And I knew I could fill that void with somebody actually coming up with reliable information. Like mm. I said, to, I want, I knew I could be that person that they would go to for uh, information whenever something happened when it came to nuclear, they, they tag me in it and say, Hey, like, what's the truth here? What's going on here? So I'm, I'm not the only one on now. I'm actually not even the only, or I don't have the most followers when it comes to the pro nuclear side of TikTok. There's two others that are beating me. (laughs) 
right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's fine. That's awesome. I, I love that. I imagine one of them is Isabel Bamaki. Actually, no. Actually, no. Wow. You've outdone this. bigger on, on Watch on out, Lindsay. Yeah, she's yeah. huge on Twitter. Um, she is huge. Yeah. No, but that's that's great. I love that there are that many people with big platforms handling that. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So <laughs> I, I like that you brought up that the tides are changing because it really feels that way, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm wondering if there are any arguments that are successful now that weren't before, things people are open to that they weren't before, or just what have been successful talking points in general that you've noticed? Jeez. So successful talking points. Like I have been honing my honing my talk talking points, same talking points as as before, really. But I have been trying to use more of the levers of influence. I don't know if you've ever read the book Influence. Great book. I've not. I guess I should check this out. Highly recommend it. And then also following following some techniques from risk communicators. Mm. And when I when I first started on TikTok, I forgot about these things and I was just kind of putting out the good information, right? And mm-hmm. the information that's kind of just countering the the misinformation with without using the proper techniques of, of influence and risk communication. But I have since changed <laughs> my tactics a little better. And when, let's say you're trying to address a piece of inf- misinformation about like waste or about re- the whole renewables versus nuclear thing. Right, right. Um, but you just had a great interview or video on, not necessarily mm-hmm. about versus, but just mm-hmm. about the limitations, which I think is key exactly exactly and it's not it's, it's trying not to uh just go against that person's beliefs like just on the opposite end of the spectrum but more um trying to let's see bring them closer to the middle right and giving kind of throwing them a bone a little bit and you you always you always kind of want to start out that counter argument with a kind of taking a step back, like, like you're, you're doing your own, uh, your own retreat, right. Where you're kind of giving a counter argument first. Like I did that with the, about renewables, how like they have had a dramatic decrease in their costs over the last few years. Right. Like I just come out with that right there. Like renewables have, have done awesome at really reducing their costs, but unfortunately that's not enough. And so you basically, you're kind of giving that counter argument first before giving your argument. And that works way better, especially when you're trying to build the trust of your audience, Mm. showing that our good faith that, or that, that you're, you're thinking both sides of the argument, because if they, let's say you're, you're going for that kind of that, that crowd of people who can kind of go either way, they can kind of teeter totter either direction, pro nuclear, pro renewable, or even though I, I think those are kind of, it's stupid to have uh, be, be one or the other. But if you just go straight up, like renewable suck, nuclear is mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Their automatic reaction is to kind of counter that. It's it's kind of a human nature, right? Is to kind of like, oh, you're you're really leaning heavily on right, one you've side. You've disturbed of the equilibrium that exactly. allows for osmosis, right? So they're exactly. like rebalancing that. 
Yep. Yep. So it's trying to show that, yeah, I'm, I'm giving both views here and not trying to just be against the other side type of thing. So uh, I think that has been very successful trying to utilize those communication techniques. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's true. I struggle mightily to do that. I admire your ability to, to, to have mastered that. And like, I've been thinking about this a lot though, because if we have the courage of our commitments, and I think the tide is turning, frankly, because some not so thought out, financially convenient policies were put into place are now getting mugged by reality mm-hmm. with the energy crunch, then it seems to me like if we want to, like, I want nuclear to be like a hegemonic energy option, right? Like it's baseload. I want it to be a lot of baseload, <laughs> you know, like yeah. most of baseload. Um, yeah. to, to do that, you have to figure out how to be a graceful winner. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like yep. that seems key to me, right? Like that's the thing you always want to encourage people to come over, yep. right? If they, if look, if somebody who is like hard in the paint against me now, for example, if one of the Australian solar dudes who's always mean to me in my replies, there are a few of them that are like just uh, absolute I probably reply, met them. reply guys. <laughs> Yeah. Like if one of them was like, you know, I've changed my mind. I'd be like, dude, welcome. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Happy you're here. You know, let me roll out the red carpet for you, buddy. Because (laughs) the thing about advocacy, and I'm curious to hear if this is true, is what I've noticed is when you convince someone, they can't help but become an advocate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've seen it, but yep. I've seen it many times. You know, and I think that that's the key. So I guess my question is like, you know, you've seen it many times. What was that like surprising when you started watching it happen? Were you like, oh God, like I'm having an impact here. Yes. I've got, I've seen someone that's gone from kind of, like I said, that, that, that sort of teeter totter in the middle can go either way. Nuclear is maybe kind of a, a patchwork uh, thing until we can go hundred percent renewable type of point of view to, now this specific individual is like, he is balls to the wall. Like he is a full-throated advocate for like, we need as much nuclear as possible type of uh, person. So yeah, I've, I've seen that before. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's when, that's when I realized, because the part of it is also, it's not just like, you're going to sort of snake charm your way into getting people to agree with you, but you also have to like take responsibility for the ideas that you put out there, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's what a lot of it's about too. Right. Yep. And it's allowing people the dignity of response. Like, I mean, some people you just can't, will never convince and that's life, man. Yep. And that is frustrating, but there's always an audience. Yeah. And I, I think when it comes to being an advocate, it is really thinking about those people. Like there are going to be those people that are on the extreme that no matter what you say or what you you specifically say, it's probably not going to uh, change their mind. But there are definitely people that we should be roping in that are in the middle, mm-hmm. or at least open open to listening. You know, mm-hmm. they aren't just like anti nuclear to be anti nuclear type of thing. Totally, yeah. People that just have like received wisdom or something like that, they haven't really. Yep. 
totally engage with the idea. You know, I also think part of it's like picking your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, it is obvious to me that you're super successful with people who are very concerned about climate and that rules, you know, and like, you're going to be able to bring them in just like, and I've said this on a few podcasts before, like Isabel's ability to like reach into like social worlds that I would never have access to yes. as like, you know, a no necked heavy metal t-shirt wearing dude, you know, and that's awesome. And when it has come to my own advocacy, like what I realized is that there were people that might not care about climate, but would probably care about energy Mm -hmm. that I could get into nuclear because of the things that nuclear gives us, like really cheap electricity and like energy Mm -hmm. sovereignty and Mm -hmm. things like that. And that those were the people I was interested in pulling into that world. And so I think that's also part of it, right? Because Mm -hmm. these techniques are always going to work, but it also depends on who they're going to like work with, depending on what you want. Yep. Yep. And yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. It's really, really thinking about that audience and tailoring the, your, your techniques and your, your message towards that specific audience. TikTok's a very uh, wide audience and I'm hoping I'm attracting some of those people that are very concerned about climate change. And I know mm-hmm. I am, I, I know that some of them are, I have noticed though with my followers, cause I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nosy person. I'll go in and I'll click on their picture. <laughs> You'll you know, see what's up. <laughs> yeah. I'll see what's going on. So I get kind of a feel of like, oh, okay. So these are people that I would expect probably to be pro-nuclear anyways, some of them, but there's definitely a bit of them that are, con- are concerned about nuclear or not nuclear, sorry, uh, climate change. And they're, they even in the comments section will ask the right questions and the things that maybe they heard from years of, of traditional environmental thoughts. And so I guess I, I might have a mix, but it seems to be a lot of them are pro pro nuclear and i'm i'm trying to in in some of my recent videos tailor it towards more of the the climate concerned and really trying mm-hmm. to bring in some of that crowd so i'm 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 already trying to shift my messaging like when when i i did a video about kind of my my change to be a climate change uh, or someone that's concerned about climate change and trying mm-hmm. to basically i'm i'm showing like hey like I am really concerned and I know you're concerned and trying to like reach my hand out <laughs> to, to that type of uh, crowd. So, yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. Cause I think that this is really, really important for people out there who are listening. Cause I know I have nuclear advocates who listen to this show, who talk about it online, who talk about it every day. Like when you talked earlier about this, like almost process of discernment that you went through, where you were like, I need to reevaluate some things. Mm-hmm. What brought you to that sensitivity? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> it's okay. So it's very interesting. It was so weird. I, I t- was tuning into NPR. I think it was actually, it might've been WPR, Wisconsin Public Radio. Mm-hmm. And there was, it was near the end of this episode that it was talking about like the, the Vulcan thought process I think is what they called it. Mm-hmm. On it. And it was, it was, it was talking about how they're, they're led by logic. Right. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing that I told you about when new information comes in, analyze that information. Yeah. So they're like the perfect can... enlightenment subject, right? Yes. Like that's the, that's the Vulcan mind model. Yeah. And I was thinking, 
damn, like I want to, I want to do that. Like, <laughs> cause I don't want to just be, you know, completely wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And little did I know that that was going to just set me off this completely different path. Like, oh yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had this moment where, you know, I was on the political left. I was very involved in like socialist left politics, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've I've written about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of people involved in that milieu, there's almost this like eschatological thing built into it because you're thinking about like revolution, you're thinking about major changes. So already you're thinking in terms of catastrophes. Mm -hmm. And I sort of had this moment over the past, like, I want to say like four years, maybe three, four years where I was like, oh shit, what if society like continues that? <laughs> yeah. You know, like what, what are, what is my role then? Mm-hmm. And what happens then? And that made me as this moment made for you, like open to totally different ways of thinking about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sort of, that's also how I found the people that I wanted to talk with about energy, you know, when I did that. And I think that that's, that's key for a lot of things in life, but also towards figuring out who you want to talk to, who you want to surround yourself with and who you want to attract. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, it's interesting how you mentioned how like we might survive, like we, life might keep going. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's, there's definitely that, I, I might've had that mind thought or my mind thought <laughs> that, that thought process at one point in time of like, Oh, like the, the world's going to end anyways, type of thing, mm-hmm. like thought process. And then once you stop re- or you start realizing like, shoot, no, like life's going to keep on going. Like, yeah. Then you start thinking like, shoot, we should, sh- we should be taking care of this earth a lot better than we do. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely get that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing that unites all nuclear advocacy to my mind is a sense of responsibility and a sense of duty. Yep. Yep. Like wherever you stand on climate or a whole host of other issues, because there are all types of people who are interested mm-hmm. in nuclear. I have like hardcore communist friends that love nuclear. And I have like Randian libertarian friends that are into nuclear, you know, uh, and yep. I hang out with all of them. And and one thing that I've realized is people really do see it as this like long-term commitment to the world, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no matter what. It's fascinating to me that that's like at that wavelength, we all kind of vibe. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I know a few people. Yeah. That they're like politically very different, but very aligned, like, Mm -hmm with with nuclear (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's surprising so look i want everyone to get into your work because i learned a -hmm. lot from it by the way i should say that the first video i watched of yours and i was like who is he was your video on the water dumping in fukushima yep and you got into a bathtub holding a brazil nut and you were like there is about this much radiation going into the pacific ocean right now um and i was like first of all i had no idea that they did that sort of compression or whatever it was to even get any numbers at all from their sampling and two it really did help me like conceive of the proportion of like water being put into the largest ocean in the world 
and the largest ocean <laughs> Uh, that there is you know yes yes <laughs> um, so that being said where can people find your work so i have made it I, i'm trying I, i've tried to make it accessible wherever everybody's at really wherever um, videos are found except for netflix right <laughs> yeah so i mean i'm on twitter as i think it's that rad guy that rad guy five, I think, shoot, yeah. <laughs> I need to look it up. I am on uh, Facebook as the rad guy. I am obviously TikTok at it's at the rad guy glows because the rad guy was already taken. Mm -hmm. And then Instagram, um, you can find me. I, I, I'm not sure what my is is his instagram have handles i can't remember but i, I think you can find me looking <laughs> yeah. up the the yeah, rad just guy look it up on instagram and by the way everybody all of that stuff will be in the show notes you good, should good. check it out and you should watch literally all of dj's content because i appreciate have. that yeah <laughs> and i love it so dj thanks for joining me this was a blast i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me all right guys We'll see you next week. Stay strong, stay sharp, and stay radiant.